the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week, we have a special edition of the podcast where I'm speaking with two of my good friends who also happen to be two of the top education leaders, in my opinion, in North America. First, we've got Bryn Spence, principal of High Park School in Stony Plain, Alberta. We also have Dr. Randy Hetherington, assistant professor at the University of Portland in Oregon. Now, you should know there's a bit of history between the three of us, as there was a time when we all worked as administrators in the same school. And it was during that time we realized that we had different perspectives on issues, which led to great discussions when we were working out problems or wrestling with questions. And that's what we're hoping to accomplish here. We're going to go around the table and bring up some questions or issues that we've been facing. And from there, we'll discuss the issue and see if we all land on the same side But honestly, usually we don't. (laughs) We hope that the conversations kind of incite thought from your side too. And so, you know, reach out to us if you've got comments on any of the topics of our conversation. Uh, It's kind of an informal conversation, but uh, we thought that it would be good to start with with Randy, Dr. Hetherington. Uh, what's, What's going on with you? What's on your mind? What are you thinking about these days? Well, Corey, matter of fact, I found myself a number of times the last uh, few months uh, engaged in some interesting conversations. It's an interesting time uh, south of the 49th parallel down here, and then some pretty contentious conversations and things going on. And a friend of mine recommended uh, that I read a book, uh, a book on gracious space. And I took the opportunity uh, to read that book, and it certainly made me think about a lot of the training that I remember we had uh, back when we were together up in Alberta and all of the work around fierce conversations and Sue Scott's work uh, and the many others that have worked with her on that and the need for leaders, uh, people in leadership positions, to be able to engage those elephants in the room, to have those tough conversations uh, when they're needed. And what this book talked about, which I think is really interesting, is that long before you can have a fierce conversation or what down uh, in the United States they're often calling courageous conversations is you have to create gracious space. And by gracious space, they mean that the people entering into the conversation or getting prepared to have a conversation have to suspend judgment, have to kind of check their egos, check their motivations, check their agendas at the door and be willing to listen to what other people have to say, even when it's not what you want to hear and be able to, to listen first and, and bring a lot of that uh, into it. Now there's a lot more to the gracious space concept in the book, but I wonder in our time these days in education where everybody's talking about transparency, everybody's talking about team building, everybody's talking about uh, working together and collaborating. But are we really? I guess that's the question. That's what's on my mind is, are we really collaborating or are we walking into some spaces that 
are inviting people to contribute, but it's not a gracious space. People already have determined what their positions are and are prepared to defend them and are prepared to present them. Or perhaps we're shit in a hierarchical situation, as can happen in a lot of our educational organizations. The right answer is already out there. And will our conversation get us to it? So I, I guess that's, you know, what's on my mind. If we're going to take education to the next step, or we're going to empower our teachers and we're going to do the best we can for kids, I think we need to have that synergy of everybody's voice. And in order to do that, I think we have to create gracious space. I'm not sure what you gentlemen think of that because, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, when you're the principal, you're the leader. Because you got the sign on the door, you direct the conversation. And whether that sign says principal, superintendent, chairman of the board, whatever it happens to say. Um, but I, I think until we have that gracious space where we can suspend all of that, it's hard to have true collaborative and, and transparent conversations. Bryn, why don't you take a hack at that one? What are you thinking when you talk about that? Because I, I think that you went through, you know, something like that, whether it be fierce conversations or at least you were aware of that that training. Yeah, absolutely. I, I went through fierce conversations training. Um, and there were lots of things that I took away from that. The, the, the two things that I'm thinking about, Randy, as I, as I was listening to you, um, I just finished uh, this morning actually teaching a, a nonviolent crisis intervention uh, course and and one of the pieces that we actually we spent more time today than we do sometimes talking about is that whole idea of empathic listening and I think that that sometimes we listen but we don't really listen uh, to to what's being said and I think that's such a, a key component of what you're talking about when you're talking about gracious space or you're talking about um, creating the availability to have those conversations. Um, I think that whole idea of being present is is so crucial to that and and not having not coming into it with preconceived notions. And so that kind of is the second thing that I was really thinking about. So I remember uh, we had a, a conversation one time about that whole idea of data. And um, when we're thinking about data, making sure that we're actually allowing the data to tell us what it is that the data is supposed to tell us rather than having preconceived ideas about what the data is and then making the data fit um, what we believe is happening. And so those two things kind of both really resonate with me as I'm listening to to what you're saying. Um, I think that when we when we look at those collaborative structures, making sure that that they are kind of um, devoid of of hierarchy i guess is maybe a good way to put it where we're all working on the same work together and and there's that collegial collaborative nature where um we're all working to try to uncover what the next step is but it's not a case of you trying to work to what my understanding is it's it's us working together to to share the learning mm-hmm. yeah and, and Bryn, i was that that brought up to me, a lot of the same issues. It's the idea of what kind of culture are you creating as a leader? I mean, being aware of the hierarchy and, and, you know, I was, it was interesting. I had, I had forgotten about, about a lot of Jordan Peterson's work. And I was reminded of that today, you know, thinking about hierarchies and how at times they're very effective, but at times they're really not. And when you're looking for true collaboration, when you're looking for someone's real opinion, that comes down to culture. 
And uh, I know that uh, a book that's been recommended to me a few times that I've been trying to to get to, I haven't yet, is um, I think it's um, uh, Culturize. And so this is the idea of how do you create that culture where people have gracious space and the idea that culture is built not on what you necessarily say, but it's built on a continued relationship of does what you say and what you do line up. And so if you say, give me your honest opinion, I really want to hear it, but then they're punished in some way, shape, or form from that, or it's not the opinion that they wanted to hear, therefore there's some snide remark, and then it's just discounted. Those are the types of things that create the culture, and that's really hard because you have to live that. You have to do it every single day, and one small slip-up um, usually takes a while to recover from. It's not a straight in, straight out. Usually you have to build that more than you take out. And so I agree it's really important. I, I agree that you need to find those times and, and really seek out those conversations where people aren't coming in with their perceived notion. And I think that it's not only a question in schools, but uh, uh, I know that uh, there's a lot of people that are talking about more polarization in society today, where people are set in their opinions, and they're not looking to speak. So I think it's probably something that we need to start addressing even with our students. How do you have those conversations with others? How do you create gracious space between our students, not just between the leaders and the staff? Yeah, and I and I, I hope I didn't, you know, give the impression at the, the onset, Corey, because I, I like what you said there. I, I didn't want to give the impression that that all conversations and all discussions, you know, need to, uh, you know, be hierarchy free. Um, there's a, there's a decision making continuum, right from fully participative, right up to fully authoritarian, you know, authoritarian or authoritative, and. You know, all of those can be good and all of those can have their place in, in leadership, uh, in school leadership, in school system leadership, uh, or in any organization. Uh, it's, it's when you say that you're transparent and you say that you're collaborative, but in actual fact, you're entering into those conversations with the right answer in your back pocket or in the back of your mind, and you're just working to convince the others to get to it. Uh, and I think that's the part that can really... I think be detrimental in the long run to any group of people working together. And I remember working with the two of you gentlemen, um, you know, it would be lovely. Some people hire assistant principals to work with them who will just agree with everything they say. Well, <laughs> as you've come to know, I agree with myself all the time. I don't need anybody to more to agree with me. I need people who will tell me when I'm in left field. And, and thankfully both you gentlemen were more than happy to let me know when I strayed uh, a little bit too far or perhaps hadn't considered all of the approaches or avenues. So I didn't want to give the impression that it was something that has to happen in all conversations. But I, I think if we're going to say that we're transparent, which is a real buzzword these days in a lot of uh, organizations, and if we're going to say that we're truly collaborative, then the right answers can't be predetermined. And I think we need to, as you say, Corey, take the long road and really demonstrate through our actions that we're creating gracious space, that we're suspending our judgment, we're suspending all of our biases, et cetera, and we're truly listening to the other folks. I think a big piece of that comes back to that whole culture piece too is that that trust element, right? Um, 
And and the thing about trust that I've I talk to kids about all the time is that idea that you know gaining trust is incremental and losing trust is absolute. And I think that that's such an important piece of when we talk about transparency and we talk about you know maybe the the answers are being predetermined. You only get to do that once, right? And then people don't come back to engage with you in the same way. And so I think that that always has to be at the back of our mind to make sure that we're, you know, are we actually coming into this open and available and uh, willing to have the conversation or do we have a preconceived thing? And I think if we have some preconceived ideas, throw those out on the table so that we can start talking and working on them um, or don't ask the question in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I like to, uh, I want to explore more something that you said there, Bryn, and that was being present and kind of being authentic as well. You mentioned that, and, and we've had a conversation or two before about that. Um, maybe you want to go down that road a little bit when you're thinking about authentic leadership or, or being present as a leader. Uh, what are the kind of things that you're thinking about around that? Um, just around the whole idea of, you know, being true to what you say, uh, the thing I've been grappling with for the last, you know, couple of, couple of weeks here is just, we're in the the tail end of our, our school year and just trying to get everything, you know, there's always all these timelines about, we need to get this done, this done, this done, this done. And we're, we're watching the, the clock tick down to the point where we were talking today and, you know, we have, 23 days left of school, I think, and I'm looking at all the things that need to get done in those 23 days to to make sure that we're set up for next year and thinking, holy cow, how are we going to get all this done? And so making sure that we're available, I've been thinking about that whole being present piece and making sure that you don't allow all of those things to take away from um, the good work that we need to do with with the people in our buildings. Um, and that whole being present thing, being available, um, it's really easy to to get focused on all of the, um, I don't know, procedural things that we need to get done and, and lose sight of um, the relationships and the people that are in our buildings that are, are ultimately uh, the most important thing of the work that we do. And so I've been I've been grappling with how do we maintain that? How do we balance that? Making sure that we meet those those uh, deadlines and deliverables, but at the same time, not leaving people feeling like they're they're uh, an island unto themselves. Yeah, that uh, and Bren, perfect. I, I remember a piece of advice that was given to me early in my career, and I'll I'll just throw it in as my two bits on that. Um, it was a Nishka elder uh, from the Nishka First Nation folks around Hazleton, British Columbia. And I remember her saying in a workshop I was attending that, you know, all people hear. Hearing is something that our bodies do biologically, but very few people listen. And she really drew a fine line between hearing and listening and said that, you know, if you find yourself already forming an opinion, a rebuttal, an answer when the other person's talking, then you're not truly listening to what they're saying and to their part of the story. Uh, and it really changed my practice. And I stopped using the, the phrases like, yes, but, well, I agree, but however, and I, I, I really learned the power of words like yes, but, and however, to negate 
what those people were saying or what their story was, or as you said, Bryn, you know, the relationships, the things that are important, um, and just to state, you know, your own opinion. So I, I tip my hat to that particular uh, elder because she really kind of tuned me in to the power of those words. I, I was particularly interested in the whole idea of being present. And so I had the experience the other day where it was a busy day in the office. We were doing a lot of forward planning for the following year. And some of those decisions directly affect people's livelihoods. Um, we were in the middle of deciding, unfortunately, who if we had enough money to bring all of our um, educational assistants and teachers back. And it was, it was heavy. I mean, I don't, I don't take that stuff lightly. And then all of a sudden I looked at the clock and it was time to go teach kindergarten phys ed, which is one of the best parts of my week. I get to go down and I get to, to, to play essentially in the gym with, uh, 20 young kindergarten students, uh, all at the same time. And I came in and, and I think the teacher saw that I, didn't have quite the same approach that I was probably coming from something and that part of my mind was still there. And she said something that I really appreciated. She was just, okay, you're here right now. Just be present with these kids. And I think about that, not only when we get caught up with the busyness of the office and then back to the, to the kids, but I also think about that when we get approached by students or sorry, by, by staff just being able to realize or to remember to just leave all of the busyness or all of the other things and just try and really be present, try and be only in that moment with that person so that you can be what they need to be at that point, which is most of the time just someone to listen and someone to support. But maybe it is to answer some questions or to help them make sense of something. Um, and sometimes it's to celebrate because it's not always bad. Sometimes, you know, we get so caught up in the, 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 our jobs that we forget to have a little bit of fun. And, and so that was the thing that I was thinking about when you brought up that whole being present and, and, and being, yeah, kind of just remembering to get out of our own head sometimes. Which is tough. Well, not tough, but it's, it can happen these, ty- these, these types of, uh, these times. Around now, um, I, I want to bring up something that that's really been—I don't know if it's been troubling me, but it's something that we were looking at this year because one of the things that we do in preparation for the coming year is to create a professional development calendar. We think about who's doing what, how we're going to organize professional learning, the days that we have, um, all that kind of stuff. And a question that's being asked and, and really debated is is to what point or to what level should teachers be independent and in charge of their own professional learning? And and we're talking about that both in, in what they learn, so the subject and the format of their learning, and, and that relationship between the perceived needs of the school by the leader, so the leader saying to the teachers, you should be looking at this, and then also the perceived needs of the teacher saying the teacher evaluates and says, you know, I need to do this. And, and, I, and I'm not saying it's got to be all one or the other. I, I don't want to, to create some sort of false dichotomy here. It's, it's the point that at, to what extent should teachers be able to direct their own learning? Um, and, 
and and yeah, I, I absolutely think they should, but just how much. And so another another piece of that that I that I personally think about is is my role as an instructional leader. So you know, I really see that as a participating member of staff who's involved in professional learning is is learning alongside the staff and and thinking about what is my role in relationship to this question about how much autonomy should teachers have? What say do I have? And, and things like that. So, I mean, we've, we've been doing some interesting things. Um, the first one is we, we have been working with our local Alberta Teachers Association, which is a local teachers union and college here in, in Alberta on a pilot project. And each teacher was given a sum of money and three half days for self-directed PD which means that they could go to conferences, they could pay for subs, they they had a bunch of time and a bunch of money. And they what they worked on was really up to them. Although it had to be attached to their professional growth plan, and we as the administrators needed to kind of supervise that, it wasn't directed. I couldn't tell a teacher for those three days and for that 440 what they were working on. And I mean, qualitatively, the teachers loved it. Um, the question that I have is one of impact. So how much impact are we getting? How much are they learning? How much is that learning translating to student growth? And so that's the question I have. And, and we haven't been able to, to, to get that qualitative, uh, or sorry, that quantitative data yet. The other thing that I think about is, is some of the processes that have been designed through design thinking that, that I've been introduced through from, from learning sprints. So these are processes that are used to help teachers determine what their students need, what teachers should be working on next. And, and they're kind of guided or, or maybe like a, an administrator would, would present that to teachers and kind of help them along. But it's not necessarily directed by the administrator. The, the, the answers are come up are created by the teacher. So that's something that I'm thinking about right now because I'm deciding, you know, how many days should should we be working as a as a staff together? How many days should we be working in small groups? How many days should we be working individually? And I'd really like your guys' feedback on on what you've seen be effective, on your your questions or your answer to the question, to what extent should teachers have their own say and autonomy in in directing their professional learning? Bryn, maybe you should jump in first. I've I've got a lot of thoughts on that particular topic. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing I'm thinking about, Corey, is that whole idea of uh, of people having choice, right? And we know that choice is a motivator. Um, and so I think that that's a when we when we look at setting up PD and and learning and and the opportunity for people to move forward. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about the learning sprints model is that people can say, okay, kind of the fundamental question is, you know, what do you think you can do to have the biggest impact on the, on the kids you're working with? And I think giving them that space and that ability to say, okay, I think that this will have a really significant impact. Um, there, there's absolutely value in that. I think people are, when, when they feel that they have choice and control over what they are looking at, they are more engaged and they're more willing to, um, maybe drive a bit deeper, take it a little bit farther. Maybe they're more excited about implementing it. And so I think that wherever we can build that choice and that independence into it, uh, it is a good thing. Yeah. 
well, I'm not sure where, where to start, Craig, but I'll, I'll put, uh, I'll maybe perhaps go at it this way. You, you talked uh, at the beginning about not wanting to create a, a false dichotomy and, and, you know, how much should be directed or should be self-directed by the teacher. And I think there's actually a semantic here that, that's an important difference because we, have, we use the term almost universally uh, of the term PD, professional development. And I really want to distinguish that from what, in my head at least, is staff development. There's the I and there's the we. And I think those are two equally powerful things, and both can have an impact. Uh, where that impact will be felt uh, may, may differ. And, and let me explain it this way. When we as a school staff get together, and, and you know that I define school staff as everybody within the building who has a, a, an effect on children. Uh, so that's not necessarily just the teaching staff and the non-teaching staff or the paraprofessional. It's everybody together. Um, and I think that's where the needs need to come from for the what we we'll call staff development. And I think, in my mind, that's what those days in our school calendars are for and for us together to determine what we need to work on. And that's where you have to be very careful as a leader not to have predetermined that uh, ahead. Yes, we can guide. Yep. And to go back to what Bryn said on an earlier topic, it can be database. You can We can put the data out there. Here are some of the results we're getting. Here are some of the things we're seeing. What does this mean? What do we need to work on? And together come to that staff development piece. On the other side, for me, is professional development for the teaching professional. And as you know, I define professional. I think I did it in another podcast with you. That what makes you a professional is when you put the needs of the kids first. The people that you serve come first. And if a, a teacher develops a, a professional growth plan, their personal professional growth plan, based on that concept of putting the kids first and what they feel they need to develop themselves to make that happen, then I don't think you, we, we have to trust in that professional nature and that professional part of them as teachers to, to pursue that and to create impact on themselves and translate that impact into the students and more than likely in the form of student learning or perhaps school culture or, or whatever it needs to be. But for me, we really have to, to split those two terms, staff development, what we do as a team, and personal professional growth, which I think is what all teachers should be doing all the time. We're never there. We never arrive. We're working towards being the best master teacher we can be. There's always something that we can improve on in ourselves, and only we truly know what that something is. So, uh, and that's all separate from the, the supervision and evaluation processes and all of the things that come about in that, and I don't think that's where you wanted this to go. So I, I think if I'm looking at my school year as a principal in those days, those days are about staff development. They're about what we together are doing to help make it better for all of our kids considered together. That may involve small groups breaking off. That may involve the whole staff working on something. You would decide. As a group, you would come to an understanding of what needs to be done to make that happen. Where you as the instructional leader come in is you have experience, and the reason you're in that position is because you can take a look at what the staff is saying they need and say, well, how about, and that's where you guide and, and develop that process based on the need that they arrived at together. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think I'm necessarily disagreeing with anything that's been said, but 
for me, there are two distinct items there, staff development and, and personal professional growth. Mm-hmm. And I would actually even challenge you that there's might even be that three. And I think that this isn't actually a, a separation for what you said. I agree. There's the individual and I agree there's the group, but somewhere in between, I think that there's a time when there should be a smaller group that comes together, especially when you're in uh, a larger school that can work together on things that are particular to theirs. And that's, that's what we kind of, our, our response or my response to the question, to what extent is a three pronged approach where you have personal development, you have a small group development of about maybe three to five people. And then you have staff development, which is all of us, um, creating some common understanding, some common language coming together and, and doing that. And, and, and realistically, my involvement in that gets less the more individualized it is. When it's a staff development, I'm absolutely asking staff, but it's generally me leading that. When it's a smaller group, yeah, I'm overseeing that, but they're, they're really choosing what they're working on. And when it's personal, that's really on them. And, and I think that having that balance of all three, the other thing that I wanted to, to ask and maybe thinking about was in that small group or in those personal sessions, to what responsibility or to what extent do we have a responsibility to learn ourselves? And how much do we have a responsibility to then help others learn? And so this is the conversation that I have with a lot of people where there's a negotiation that happens in their learning sprint or in their small group PLC where they say, well, I don't really want to do that. I know all about that or I feel like I've got a really good handle on that. And when I come back to them and I say, well, this other person doesn't and they would really benefit from your leadership, they kind of take a step back or they forget about that. And so I, I want to be a bit more intentional, I think, about how in even our small group PLC work, we have a responsibility for professional learning in ourselves, but part of that is also <laughs> mentoring and, and helping the others learn, even if it's something that we feel that we've got a pretty good handle on. I think that's huge, Corey. Like, I think that if I look at all of the learning that I've done over my career and continue to do a huge portion of it is learning alongside people who have taken the time to mentor me and, and help me to grow. And so I think that that is that whole idea of learning together. And sometimes you take the, the, the seat of the quote unquote expert, and sometimes you take the seat of the, um, the novice, but there's always that, that back and forth. And I think we do have a responsibility to help those around us to improve based on some of the things that, that we've learned. And, and in many cases we've tried and they haven't necessarily worked the way that we wanted them to. Um, but that's some of the best learning as well. Uh, and, and Corey, I think uh, I know your past experience, you've worked uh, a number of years in the high school environment. And uh, I think you've probably experienced uh, the infamous high school uh, departments that seem to be working at cross purposes to each other, don't always seem to be pulling and they're just looking to get their their slice of the financial pie and, and kind of do what's best for the department. And what I hear you say, and this is where I think actually you called it a third group, 
but I'm still seeing it as a subset of one of the others. And I'll, I'll, what I mean by that is if all of our small groups, as you say, are working to improve themselves, if all of the parts of the organization are working to improve themselves, does not the organization as a whole improve in and of itself? And, you know, it, but there's an assumption in there. And this is why I gave that high school thing at the beginning that from our past, there's an assumption that everybody's working on the same value system, the same beliefs towards the same mission and goal, whatever you want to, you, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and if everybody is working towards the same goals is not the small group, a part of the overall improvement of the staff as a whole. I agree. I think we're talking the same language, but it's a good it's a good reminder, but but it also underscores that value of having that shared mission, having that shared vision, having a a conception of what the culture of the school is. And that I think is a whole different conversation for another day because I think that the creation of that shared vision is is probably something that we could all speak about and and struggle with at times. I think, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that Randy to kind of bring it around. I think that's the whole idea that you you were talking about initially uh, around gracious space, right? And if we're going to come together to to work on this, that idea of a shared culture, of a shared vision, and and the ability to have um, focused dialogue around an idea that is authentic is kind of a a necessary component of that like you it'd be very difficult to do that effectively without it i'm interested to hear from you bryn have you targeted that at all this year like what are the kind of things that that you're thinking about to share that vision mission to have everyone kind of speak in the same language to be understanding the institutional values and then and then even if you want to get into the divisional values versus the school values. And do you see that there's a shift there? I've been, so I have, we've been targeting it. I don't know that we've been targeting it specifically intentionally. I think the focus has been creating some, some common language around things and, and um, to, to, I don't know, to create that idea of, you know, this is how we do business at, at the school. Um, where we're working together and, and we're working on a, on a common kind of direction. And so I think that, that that has been the work of for the last few years is just coming up with that common direction so that when something comes up, everybody kind of has an idea about maybe how we believe we should respond to this um, in the best interests of kids. Randy, I know that um, you're perhaps not uh, directly in a school, but you're you're probably talking about this with your students and and especially your leadership students, and, and then you've got a bunch of lived experience. Same question, and and we've had a bit of experience where we um, instituted a, uh, I think it was a, a vision and mission statement for our school, and, and do you think that 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 has to be done overtly as well as covertly? Is there a, is there a time? Is there, do you have to keep coming back to that? Does that need to be refreshed every so often? What's your lived experience there? Well, I, I mean, one, one part of that, um, the three of us lived t- together when we first came to the school, the school didn't have 
a, a guiding mission, vision, a, a place that everybody could agree the direction they were going or working on. And with five separate programs, they were all working on their programs and where their programs were going, but not where the school was going, not where we were going together. Uh, and I remember, and this was just after Bryn uh, had left our, our team to move on to, to other leadership challenges. And we did a, a culture study, a school culture study. And we took uh, a number of staff who were selected because they had been at the school and predated us uh, and had seen where the school had been, where it was, and hopefully where it might be going. And we asked them to, to talk about those cultural items. And they asked me to give them some kind of an introduction. I said, no, I'm not going to do that because I, I don't want you to think that there's any kind of right answer here. I said, we need to look at what our school, what our kids, what our staff, our colleagues are telling us, and, and that will identify our culture. Now, we used an instrument out of, I think it was a Todd Whitaker and Steve Grunert's uh, book, School Culture Rewired. We used an instrument to help get kickstart that, that conversation and to get some data for them to work with, and that data surprised them. Mm. They didn't agree on everything, and they could see, and, and one of the biggest things that came from that was that they didn't understand what each other did necessarily in the building. They all worked in the same building, but as you know, we had some very different programs, and, and people did not understand truly what each other necessarily was doing. And so the answer to your question is, you got to work on that constantly. That's not a Oh, congratulations, we've got our mission. Let's put it on some uh, some ribbons and pass them out and give everybody a card. Uh, because as Bryn said, to use his words, and I think they were very wise words, it has to be who you are and what you do at the school. It, this is how we do business here. And for that to show to any visitor to the school, to any kid, to any parent, it, you, you have to reinforce that with every decision that you make, with every uh, activity that you run, it all has to be consistent with that mission. So it's something you work on from the time that you establish it after having that conversation Bern alluded to. You have that conversation, you come to it, and then you have to live it, reinforce it. I hate to say it, but it's like a good marriage. If you don't work at it, you know, it will fall apart. And you work at it every single day. Yeah, I'm interested, uh, boys, if there's any books, articles, or films, or stuff that you're uh, looking at right now, anything that uh, you're um, that's really interesting you that you're uh, wanting to share out. Randy, you want to start? Sure, I, I, I've got, I've got a few, and uh, just just on the books, I, I really will put in that plug for that book, Gracious Space. It's not a new book by any stretch. Uh, 2010, if I recall, a practical guide for working better together. And if it's a short read, I, I like to call it a two-bathroom read because it won't take you that long to go through. But the organization, it comes out of the University of Washington, Washington State uh, originally, and just really well done, really easy to understand, uh, and, and really important concepts. So you know, that book and then the other one, of course, that I'm well into, I think I might have alluded to previously, was The Dream Keepers by Gloria Ladson-Billings. Again, not a new text by any stretch, but every time I read it, I, I take something different out of it. Uh, and she looks at how, how we work with African-American kids in classrooms, and I think that could apply in Canada to how we work with our First Nations kids and to others. It, it really is about that diversity and that, uh, that equity piece. So uh, those are the two that have got me going right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the first time I heard about that book, and I can't remember if it was Dr. Valen Jordan or if it was Dr. Natalie Kiefer or if it was maybe even Amy Samuels, but and I think it was even a couple of them that talked about that. So that's been on my to-read list, and we're getting into summer, so I'm hoping <laughs> to be able to get to it. <laughs> Bryn, uh, what are you uh, reading right now or looking at or uh, watching? Uh, right now, I'm not reading a whole ton, but uh, in a couple a couple weeks here, I'm planning to uh, dig in a little bit to uh, a new book from ASCD from McTeague, uh, looking at understanding uh, by design meets neuroscience, and that idea that how do we pair those two huge areas to uh, maybe make our uh, instruction a little bit more accessible to all of our learners. And so how do we take that and then implement that within the classroom? And then the other one that I'm, I'm going to pick back up um, after kind of listening to Randy talk is uh, it's a, it's a book from, from several years ago. It's called verbal judo. And it's uh, I, I read it oh, probably 10 years ago now, but um, I think that there's a lot of, of ideas and nuggets in there that are, are worth bringing back to the surface because it's all about um, that whole idea of, of conversation and how do we work through and, and help people to kind of understand our perspective and, and understand their perspective as well. So those are the two that are kind of on my list for the first part of summer anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm I'm really interested to read a book called Rosenshine's Principles in Action, and it's by a book. Uh, sorry, by it's it's a book by Tom Sherrington. I believe he's out of the UK, but it's based around a professor from the University of Illinois' work, Barack Barack uh, Rosenshine. It's been highly recommended by some people that I I really respect. So I, I just ordered a copy. I will give you the full details if it's any good. And then, uh, I guess keeping with the concept of coming back to something. And that's that I'm working with a, with a new administrative colleague next year. And one of the things she's brand new to, uh, assistant principalship. And one of the things that I am rereading and I, uh, bought her or gifted her to read at the same time was what great principles do differently. Eight things that matter most by Todd Whitaker, which is one of my fallback positions. And I say, if we can do these 18 things, we're going to be on the right track. Um, and I'll, I'll put in a plug for someone just, you know, you heard it here first. <laughs> Watch for uh, a gentleman, uh, also interesting, out of the University of Washington at their Bothell campus. But listen for the name Wayne Au. Uh, his last name is spelled A-U. And, uh, and Wayne is, uh, he was a previously an AERA scholar, but he is becoming a real keynote type speaker on the areas of diversity and equity. And he has a new book out, uh, a Marxist education, uh, learning to change the world. Uh, and, uh, it's not, it's not going back to uh, the McCarthyism in those days, but it is certainly, uh, worthy of a read. It's another, another, uh, shorter read. And I, I think you'd enjoy it. So Wayne Al, you heard it here. Anyone else that, uh, maybe doesn't have a book, but anyone whose work is interesting you right now, um, uh, Bryn, I know you've got uh, you've got your fingers in a whole bunch of pots and uh, thinking about inclusive education and things like, like things like that. Any names we should uh, think about? Check out. Um, I've been thinking about a, a bunch of them. Um, 
certainly, you know, any anything by Shelley Moore and and those sorts of uh, those sorts of people. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to see Shelley again at the uh, Council for Inclusive Ed conferences coming up this fall because I I think that there's always new things to take away from 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 what she shares. So that's something that that I'll be looking forward to. I've really been thinking about. I, I don't know, Corey, if you've seen this, but we have seen this year, we have seen uh, a real increase in kids that um, are, they just are becoming very, very disengaged uh, to the point where um, they're stopping, they're refusing to come to school for especially some of our, our junior high students. And so I've been thinking a lot about that and how do we start to maybe change this engagement loop and, and is it a case of we have to make the curriculum or the, the activities more accessible to them or, or what are the things that we can change that are within our zone of influence to to start to kind of right that ship? Because I think um, certainly this year we've seen more this year than in previous years and I'm, I'm worried that if we don't do something to change the direction of that, that can become a very untenable situation very, very quickly. So I'll be looking for some things around that. I don't have any names yet, but those are, are certainly areas that I'll be focusing on in the next you know, few months. Yeah, we, we've seen that as well. And I think that that's, a, that's definitely a question that's occupying people's minds. Um, a couple of people whose work is interesting to me right now, um, I've mentioned him before. I'm hoping to have it on the podcast soon is Dr. Simon Breakspear. Uh, all his work around um, learning sprints has really worked for our school. Uh, we're talking about building teacher expertise and things like that. That's been really interesting. Um, the, um, the, the other one is not actually a person. Uh, but it's actually the organization of WISE. Now, it's W-I-S-E, just, just like it sounds. And I can't actually remember what the acronym stands for, but uh, some of their work, some of their conferences and their podcasts, I've been, been really enjoying, really um, academic-centered or, or research-based, but very practical at the same time. So their podcast, I think, is called WISE Words, which is maybe the best name for a podcast around <laughs> education ever. Uh, but yeah, definitely check that one out. So um, let's say people want to follow what you're doing. Uh, Dr. Hetherington, do you have a Twitter handle? Do you some way that people could connect with you? Sure. Uh, the Twitter is just RW Hetherington, all one word. That's the Twitter handle. They'll, they'll find me there. Or I'm also on LinkedIn. Quick search will will find me there or they can always just send me an email at uh, the university of Portland. I'm always happy to respond. Awesome. Bryn, what's, uh, what are your contact? Uh, what's your contact information? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bryn Spence and then email is also available as well. You bet. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, you can always connect with Intersection Education. We've got our website, which is intersectioneducation.com. We've also got our Twitter handle at Intersection Ed. And if you want to connect with me, you can get me at Corey Haley. That's C-O-R-E-Y-H-A-L-E-Y on Twitter and Instagram and wherever else uh, things happen. Uh, thank you so much, gentlemen, for your time, for your insight. I, you know, I always, I always love our conversations, and uh, I'll be thinking about this and perseverating uh, about your answers or your your feedback on my questions. So I want to thank you very much. Yeah, I'm going to go you, do some verbal, some verbal judo now. I, I like that. <laughs> I'm on it. 
Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, intersectioned, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.